Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here for the last show of oh, 2016 with Nikki Kinzer. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and it ended on a round number. I know, right? 180 episodes. Can you believe that? That's crazy. And I'm glad that it ended on a round number. There's something stuff, really satisfying about it, that. It just, it matters to me. And yeah. so I think that's awesome. I do too. Uh, so here we are, and we are taking this this uh, last show of the year to answer questions. We've got lots of questions from people. We have uh, we've consolidated some of them, sifted them around, uh, but hopefully your questions get answered in this episode. Uh, we that's it, right? We have no other particular frame nope. Nope. for what we're doing here. Okay, so uh, shall I just take them in order? Sure. The first question uh, comes from Lynn. Uh, and actually, the question also comes from Michael. So, Lynn and Michael, uh, I'm I'm hoping to answer this question for you. I mentioned in my weekly review that I use To Do and my calendar app to, and I am able to drag my tasks from To Do, my work application, my task management application, into my calendar. Lynn writes, and so does Michael, can Pete please explain further how he does his weekly review? I'm specifically interested in how he takes his tasks on one side and his calendar on the other side, two different apps, one app, one iPad, Mac, and moves tasks into his calendar as appointments. I've been trying to figure out how to do this for a long time. I use iCal and ToDo currently. All right. Uh, so if you're using iCal, iCal is, an, it sounds like you may need to update the software on your Mac because iCal no longer is, is no longer the app that is, is published by Apple. It is Calendar. Uh, it's, and so the version may impact why you are not able to do what I do here. But uh, literally, and I, I'll put a little uh, video up on the YouTube page that actually demonstrates me doing this. I literally drag, I grab the task, Right. And, and it's important when you do this to grab the task, not to click on the task and then try to click on it, because then you'll go into editing mode, right, where you you actually are able to select text and type. What you want to do is just grab the task with one click and hold and drag it from your to do window onto your calendar. So you need to have both of these open side by side. And as you hover over the day, like I'm in week view here on my calendar, as you hover over the day, it'll it'll put a little plus sign over the task and create give you an indicator that you're about to create a new appointment with that text as the appointment title. 
It is super, super easy. Now, in the process here, I have tested doing the same thing with the built-in. Uh, so Calendar is built-in uh, uh, time app for the Mac right now. And Reminders is actually the built-in task management app in on the Mac. You can do the same thing. It's a little trickier on Reminders because you have to grab outside of the text window, right? So you'll see a little circle for the, that's where you check it off as done. Uh, and you just grab right outside that little circle. That's where you can click and drag a task, and you can drag it right onto the calendar, uh, and and suddenly you've created an appointment. So I, I don't know, at this point, I'm not entirely sure how not to do this because I do it so regularly. I'm not entirely sure where the errors are that you're having with these for both you and Michael. Now, Michael, I think you are writing from uh, a... Uh, well, I don't know. There's nothing in here that says what kind of system you're using. Um, I am embarrassed to say that I said in our last episode during my weekly review that you could do this in Outlook. I was operating off of memory when I still used Windows, and at the time, in Outlook, you could have tasks open in on side panel and then your calendar open as the main window. I am now on a Mac, and the version of Outlook that I have is the terrible, terrible version of Outlook that is that comes with Office on the Mac. It's terrible, and it does not let you do those things. It's a completely modal interface, so when you click tasks, all you get is your tasks. You can't have your calendar and your tasks open at the same time. I cannot confirm whether or not you can do this on Outlook on Windows right now, but if somebody can give it a shot and let us know, I'll be happy to follow up on that. But on the Mac, it works on, I'm using Fantastical, it works on Calendar, it works on To-Do and Reminders, so the built-in apps and popular third-party apps. Um, so all I can say is check out the video that will be up in the YouTube page. I'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, as this show goes live. I think that answers the question for both of them. Because yeah, I saw that and I thought, oh, I think they're asking the same question here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. The next question, actually, you know, we've we've doubled up here. Lynn actually had two questions. The next one she has is for you. Lynn is actually a member of the Paper Solution, and uh, she had a question inside the program about how to match her to-dos, her actions. Like, how do I make sure that this stuff gets done? So here I've got this paper that's telling me to RSVP, but when do I know, you know, that it's done or how do I get it done? And there was also some question too about time blocking and um, her schedule is, is really not structured. It's very, um, it changes all the time. It varies all the time. So it's very hard for her to say, okay, on Thursdays, I'm always going to do laundry because she may be working on Thursdays. And so trying to figure out how to get things done really mm -hmm. essentially mm -hmm. is, is what I'm getting from it. And I think that it starts with what Pete just explained. I think, you know, part of it is figuring out what your calendar looks like, what your schedule looks like for that week. What do you have to do and how do you match them up? And so Pete has this great way of doing that. He can put the tasks, tasks into the calendar and be able to do that and see that that's the time that he's going to be, you know, working on that task. Now, some people don't always want to put their tasks into their calendar. So you could separate it, but I think they're too tools that you still have to have, right? You still have to look at your calendar. You have to look, look at your to-dos and figure out when you're going to do it. If you have a flexible schedule, then you have to add flexibility into how you're going to do them. So maybe you know that these three chores need to get done this week, 
but you don't necessarily assign a, a time ahead. You think of the day, you go day by day rather than weekly. If, if, if your schedule changes that much, right? So here's today, this is what I have open. What do I need to get done? I'm going to do laundry and I'm going to do it during this time. Uh, you can put that in your calendar or you don't have to. I mean, it, it really is just what, how you are going to remember it. So if it's better for you to have it in your calendar, great. You know, though, I, I got to say, if you live by a calendar, you've got to have it in your calendar. It is insane to me that you would say, I have to block out time to do a task, but I'm going to go ahead and not put it in my calendar when I want to do it. Like, I know I'll be doing laundry on Thursday morning, but I'm not going to block out that time. That's insane to me. I could not live that way because that's the that's where the task is going to occur. If I don't put it in there, it will be filled with something else. Yeah, and then that's your preference. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I tend to, on my calendar, I'll, put, I'll block out the time but I, I have some flexibility of what I'm going to do in that time. Like I'll, I'll choose one or two things. Now, some people can't, I mean, that might be too much structure. So I totally agree, Pete. I think that sometimes what can happen is that calendars can get so filled with stuff that they don't do it. And then they see this calendar filled with all of these different things. And then they're, you know, a little overwhelmed about how they're going to get it done. If they didn't get it done during that time, they're moving stuff around. I mean, I think it's a, it's a matter of just finding a way that works for you. I block the time, but I don't necessarily put every single task that I'm going to do during that time. Right. And I think that's the trick, right? And what Lynn is saying, and I think the question for Lynn is how committed are you to the things that you put on your calendar, right? Because it's really is a question of commitment. If you are over committing yourself to your own time, you're not going to get stuff done. But if Thursday morning really is laundry time and it's time that you are committed to because you know you're not going to do that laundry any other time, but the laundry has to get done, then you've got to demonstrate that commitment by putting it on your calendar. That's not to say every single task has to be on your calendar at a 10-minute interval. It's just to say, during this time, I've committed to laundry. And the reason you do that is because when the phone rings and it's Vanessa and she wants you to come look at rugs for her new living room, totally making that up because somebody just asked me to come look at for rugs for their new living room, <laughs> I'm going to say Thursday morning, oh gosh, I'm already committed to getting the laundry done. I now have a choice to make. If I don't have laundry on my calendar, I don't even know I'm making a choice. No, I, that's very true. That's very true. What I also don't want people to do, and this is the fine line, this is the balance and probably the challenge that so many people um, come across, is having so much stuff on your calendar that you don't even see the appointments, the the real, real important, you know, appointments yes. that need to get done. What what are you going to put on your calendar that's so important that you're going to gate that time so that yes. you don't make those appointments? But what I don't want people to do is put every single thing on their calendar and then you just have this big, huge rainbow of stuff on your calendar because that then it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, then it doesn't work. And I think this goes back to and one of the reasons it works for me so well is because I don't do that for a month in advance, you know. Right. I do it for my weekly review days in advance. But if you go out and look at next week, I have a lot of flexibility next week, you know, at, at any given time I can move things around. What I'm doing is I'm committing to the time in short bursts. 
that says, I have deadlines specific to this. I think in larger blocks rather than smaller blocks, it keeps the calendar manageable and it keeps the work getting done. Well, and I think what's also really important, uh, an important point that you that you bring up is that especially for somebody that has such a flexible schedule, like what Lynn is talking about, you do have to plan a week ahead, like not two weeks because you may not know what your schedule is in two weeks, but let's, you know, on a Sunday, look at your week ahead and see what your schedule is and then continue to look at it daily because as things change, if you didn't get done what you needed to get done on Monday, you can, you know, change that over to Tuesday or where, where does it fit in the rest of the week? So you're, you're really planning a week ahead and then you're also taking it day by day and being flexible with your calendar and to do's just like your schedule is flexible. So it's kind of, you know, it's making it work. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a, I mean, this is, you know, she obviously is not the only one that has an issue with this. This is tough. I mean, this is hard to nail down. Well, and in fact, this is a good segue to our next question too, because I think uh, Rich writes in with something that is, is related in some, in, in some way. So I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Uh, he says, my comment or question would be regarding consistency. I do okay getting myself together, organized and focused when my ADD causes things to fall apart. But frequently after a few days of my renewed commitment, things begin to wane. I've heard you and Pete comment on this during the podcast over the years, but any further insights, or thoughts, comments, or suggestions would be welcome. So that's part one of his question. And then he has part two. Uh, another thought I have is regarding being consistent and trying to keep yourself on track when you're interrupted by health issues. I have a significant physical disability along with relatively frequent day-to-day health issues. I'm an IT professional, which requires my intense focus over different issues throughout the workday. So like everybody else, keeping myself pointed in the right direction in relation to my ADD is pretty important. Frequently enough, I will have a day when I don't feel well and it's difficult to function. It is so easy to let everything go. Everything I do, it is so easy to just let everything I do daily to keep my ADD in check fall by the wayside. Then when you're feeling better the next day or the day after, it can be hard to get yourself back on track. I believe you've mentioned that your husband has some day-to-day considerations regarding his health. So I'm guessing you have a little bit of experience with this type of of challenge. So, uh, it Rich's question in two parts. Yes. Let's go to the first part. Yeah. Let's go. Let's let's talk about consistency because this is something that has been on my mind a lot. And, uh, and, and especially when it, when it comes to habits. Now, the piece that I'm missing here with Rich is I'm not exactly sure where, if, if, if it's a routine that he's not being consistent on, a habit, um, something that he's trying to do at work, like I'm not exactly sure. So I'm going to be talking kind of broad here. Sure. Um, but I think that when you start to see that things are falling apart, uh, you know, you have to take a little bit of time to identify what's happening. Why is it falling apart? What is the roadblock that is keeping you from being consistent? And with ADHD and, and, you know, it could be a number of things. It could just be that you're bored of the routine or you're forgetting about the routine. It's not in front of you. You're only doing parts of it. You're just, maybe it's just not as important as you thought, you know, you thought it was. And now you're just being really hard on yourself because you haven't followed through. So there's that self judgment that may be coming in too. So I think it's important to kind of identify what's happening and uh, what do we need to do to correct that or tweak it or change it? You know, do we need to make something uh, interesting again in some way? Uh, Whatever that is. And with consistency, this is what I've learned about being consistent. 
it's really important that when we're trying to start a new habit, that we start small and that we, we can have an ideal routine. For example, we can have like a checklist of things that we want to do every morning. But what I would encourage you to do is really focus on one of those pieces, one task that you can do every single morning, no matter what and get that down before you try to do all 10. I would rather see people see success with one task than feel like they failed because they can't do all 10 at once right from the get-go. Right. So I think when you're looking at consistency, we have to look at what's the smallest point of entry and what can I do every day, no matter where I am or what I'm doing, I can always do this. And I'm going to go back to this wonderful book that I absolutely highly recommend. And and that's that mini habits book by Stephen Geis. Mm -hmm. And I love his philosophy. I stand by it 100%. Um, One push up a day. If you want to work out for 30 minutes a day, you start with one push-up and you can always do one push-up. If you can do more, uh, that's great. Those, those are bonus reps, but you always do one per day and you can do one push-up no matter where you are. If you're at home, if you're in a hotel, if you're outside, you can do it in work clothes. You can do it in workout clothes. It doesn't matter. You can always do one push-up and that's being consistent. And then eventually what happens is the next day you can do 10 and then, Hey, you know what? I kind of feel like really putting my workout clothes and, and maybe getting 10 minutes of exercise in, that's a bonus. But the next day you don't feel good. You just do your one. But do you see how it's consistent? It's consistent. And that's how we build that up is you have to, have to, have to start small. Totally believe in that. And it's so interesting because I was just talking to a client and, or a potential client. They, they're not even a client yet. And they were just talking to me about my coaching services. And the first thing I said is, you know, I'm not going to rush you through this. This is, I, I am not one that's going to say you're going to, you know, change your life in six sessions. <laughs> right. doesn't happen that way. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it has to start small, especially since, I mean, the people that are listening and I know the battles that I have fought, you know, we have fought these battles our whole entire life. We can't just expect them to change in three weeks. That whole thing of having a habit become a habit in three weeks is, is not real. It doesn't happen that way. Absolutely. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Well, it's a great soapbox, (laughs) and it leads straight to an opportunity for another soapbox, which is part two of his question, right? Which is this idea of of building, uh, of how do you build in time to deal with health issues and and these sort of, you know, uh, obstacles that occur more frequently than, you know, and out of your control. So this is, this is very personal, um, because he's right. My husband does have, um, a chronic illness that we deal with every day. And, you know, the first thing that I have to say to, to rich is that you have to be kind to yourself. You have to give yourself grace and you're the most important, um, thing in this world is your health and you have to take care of your health first, no matter what. So, um, if, if things aren't getting done, if, uh, you have to take time off or, you know, your house is a mess, don't let all that stuff go. Your health is the most important. You got to rest. You got, you know, whatever it is that he's dealing with. Um, he's got to take care of himself. Otherwise it, you know, it, it just, you don't heal and you're not able to bounce back. Um, I think, with this in particular, it's about 
also having maybe some system or some way to deal with when you do feel better, how are you going to deal with the stress that's going to be, you know, in front of you? Because you know, his awareness is right on. I mean, he already Mm -hmm. knows that this is hard. Um, When I go back to work, this is very challenging. So I would consider, I, I would really recommend figuring out, okay, what can I do to make this easier? Like, these are the situations that are really hard on me. It's hard for me to go through my email. It's hard for me to get back to clients or whatever kind of job he does. So I I would look at it and say, okay, is there areas that you can delegate? Are there, is there support that you can ask, you know, is, can, do you need help prioritizing what's most important? Do you need help planning for that week back? Like, what should I work on first? Maybe you talk to a boss or a coworker um, you know, if you don't have that kind of support, I think the planning, uh, you got to have respect for planning. Um, and this is something that, that actually came from the mouth of a client of mine last week. And I just thought it was such, it was so beautifully said. She said, I, I finally have respect for the planning part. And I'm like, Oh, and, and so valuable. Yeah. It's so valuable because, you know, she'd never used a plan before. And when we put one together and she, and she followed it, she's like, oh my gosh, I feel amazing. I, I actually see the respect here. So I think that that's in this situation, let's uh, be a little proactive. You know, you know, this is going to happen again. If you're living with a chronic illness, this is, doesn't just go away. This is not just the flu. This is going to happen again. So what do you need to do? to make it easier on you and get those resources, get that help and get that kind of plan B to fall on. If anything, it will at least make you feel a little less stressful or a little less stressed and um, the anxiety can, can kind of ease because you have a plan. Absolutely. You know what I think? You know what I think about it? I We're de- in the middle of dealing with really weird set of snow days, right? Just yeah. impromptu ice storms that come through and, and suddenly we have snow days. I think of it in terms of really smart district management, you know, like they build in snow days into the schedule because they know that they're not going to be able to get back the time that they lose. So they have to build in a couple of days during the year so that we can tag them on at the end. We know how that's going to work. We know the teachers know when they're going to have to move their, their, you know, their, um, lesson plans around. Uh, so we know how that works. If you think about your work in terms of, you know, what would you do if you had a snow day? What would you have to do? Do you have your work organized in such a way that you can take tasks on mass and move them to another day? Because you know, you're going to have to build in that flexibility, you know, each week, you may consider building in that kind of flexibility into your schedule each week. So maybe you intentionally don't schedule meetings afternoon on Fridays. Uh, you intentionally don't put any work work tasks after, you know, you know, noon on Friday or one on Friday, so that if you have to move things around because your health is impaired on a Tuesday, you'll know where that work's going to fall. Absolutely. Um, Those are the kinds of daily, weekly strategies you can start to employ. You cannot do this immediately, most likely. You can't just say, I'm clearing my Friday schedule. But I know a a lot of my clients have that same sort of structure. Like that's when you clear one day a week because you know either you're going to work on your own projects or you're going to have to have time for emergencies that leak over into that day. You got to build the time into your schedule. So, 
Well, and you know, I think that that's also a, a point where you want to talk to your employer about maybe that's the accommodation. If, if you're, you know, willing to open um, that conversation, if they know about your disability, that might be yeah. the accommodation that you need to ask for is to have that extra time built in. The last thing that I want to say to Rich, and, and again, this is so personal to me, is that this is not your fault. And so you can't feel bad when you're not feeling well. And I know that there's so many times where my husband has just felt so guilty and so bad because he can't be with the kids or you can't do something. And, um, and it's so hard to see. And I just, you know, I want people to know out there that it's not their fault. And and we understand that and things are going to go to the wayside and that's okay. It's no big deal. It's just what it is. And, you know, any judgment that you get from the outside, they don't know, they don't understand. They're never going to understand. They don't get it. And it doesn't matter. Their opinion doesn't matter. Um, and again, your health is the number one priority. Well, and you know what? This is also, it segues right into our next question, and this comes from Stacy. Uh, I discovered your podcast and website a couple of weeks ago, and I can't tell you how much it has helped me. Thank you, Stacy. I am 48 and found out I have ADHD seven years ago. I've struggled to understand how my brain works, to understand how to talk about, to, about it to people at work, and to deal with my emotions. When listening to your podcast, I feel like there is hope and that I'm not alone. Awesome. Uh, I'm about to return to work from short-term leave due to anxiety and depression. My question is how to take care of myself when in a negative work situation exacerbated by my ADHD. I have learned through my counseling that my boss and my assistant have narcissistic tendencies, which make it even more difficult for me. I struggle with the belief that if I get my ADHD self-organized, then I will be able to persevere versus get out because it's not realistic, especially since it is such a difficult work environment, even for non-ADHD employees. What do you think? You know, I, I, my first instinct are what are your options here? Um, and what, you know, what's happening that you feel like you have to persevere through a situation that's not healthy. Yeah. Um, so that, that's my first question is why do you have to stay in this job? And I know, you know, you may need to start to stay in the job short term until you find another job. Um, and I don't know what her situation is. So, it, you know, I can't assume anything, but I'll be honest. I mean, that was my first instinct. I read this and I'm thinking, why, why stay there? Let's, you know, what are your options and what do you need to do to, to maybe get out? Yeah, I, that was the first thing that hit me, especially because she said it. It's a difficult work environment, even if Regardless. you're not dealing with ADHD. Yeah. It's, it's toxic for everyone. Uh, well, uh, you know, that leads you down a certain path. You you can't, whether or not you're living with ADHD, you can't exist for, uh, you know, a prolonged period of time in a space of toxicity. And narciss- narcissistic tendencies, you can't, like, you can't change that. So right. That's tough. That's tough. No, no self, uh, self organization practice is going to help your boss figure out where their, their place in the world. Right. Right. Now, a couple of things that I do want to add, um, because we, you know, we don't know what the situation is. So if you do have to stay there for a period of time until you, you know, hopefully do have other options, self-care is going to be your biggest advocate on taking care of yourself, um, in these kinds of situations. So make sure you're getting, um, good sleep, make sure you're exercising, you're eating well, do everything that you can do to take care of yourself. Because if you're taking care of yourself, you'll be able to manage your, uh, maybe impulsiveness, you know, by reacting to something they've said or, um, your anxiety and stress, you know, take a walk if you need to get out of the situation, if you need to, whatever, you know, whatever you need to do in that environment, but 
I think it really starts with self-care. And I would also, you mentioned that you have been talking to a therapist and I would continue to talk to them about this situation, talk to them about your options and what is best for you and your mental health. Um, you know, that, that again, we go back to health. That is the number one priority. Um, and being in an environment that is healthy for you is, is critical is, is, is crucial, especially if you're dealing with anxiety and depression and ADHD. Absolutely. Our next question comes from Marina. What's a suggested method for forming good sleep patterns for ADD, ADHD women? Yes. And I, uh, shout out to Marina. She is a student of both organizing your space, your way and the paper solution. And, uh, she listens to our podcast and she's actually a professional organizer. I believe in the New York area. Oh boy. Sleep patterns. We did a show on sleep, uh, earlier this year. Yes. And so I, I, I looked back at that show and to get some ideas, also just some ideas of, of things that I tell clients, um, on, you know, pretty daily basis because sleep is an issue, uh, definitely for many. I I think it goes back to developing um, that nighttime routine and writing that out. What does that look like for you? Um, How many of hours of sleep do you need to have to function well? Um, And then working backwards. So if you get up at six o'clock and you want eight hours of sleep, you know that you should be in bed by 10. So what is your routine going to look like, you know, prior to 10? So it should, you know, However you want it to be, it could start at nine, it could start at eight 30, just depending on how long it takes for you to get ready for bed. But I definitely think, um, looking at some different ways to relax, you know, we've talked about lavender before being a great, um, sensory, you know, to help you relax. So uh, taking a lavender bath or having, mm-hmm. um, lavender room spray, all of those things are, um, things that you can get meditation, yoga, reading, um, preferably not on an electronic device. Um, you know, the studies say that those electronics are not always the best things for us. So, you know, if you can have a cutoff time and put them in another room, so you're not distracted by them. And that's what many people do have to do is they actually have to put them in a completely different room. Um, now for my own anxiety, what I do is I don't watch the news <laughs> before I go to bed. I don't read any news um, before I go to bed because I tend to dream about it or I'll wake up and worry about it or, you know, so that's a personal thing. But it, it, anything that that drives your anxiety, you want it to, to push away and don't um, don't look at right before you go to bed. The other thing that I suggest when you're creating a new routine, of course, we want to start small so you can have um, different things that you want to do, but just pick one and really focus on doing that one thing every single time until you can add more. If you do more, that's a bonus, but set those re- or those reminders too that, Hey, it's eight 30. I need to start getting ready for bed. You're, you're going to need to have the timer or some kind of reminder because, um, it's too easy to get sucked into Netflix and think, Oh, I have, you know, I'm going to watch one more show, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. Um, I'm on the computer and, and you're doing some research and all of a sudden it's 11 o'clock. I mean, time goes by fast. We don't always notice it. So we do definitely need to have, um, those reminders and timers in place to, to remind us that it's time for us to, to start this routine. Um, you know, this is something that my husband always tells me 
go to bed at the same time on the weekends, you know, as you do during the the week. And I know that's really hard because, you know, you think, oh, I don't, I can sleep in tomorrow, but man, Sunday night comes and it's tough, right? Because you've lost some sleep and you probably aren't going to go to bed at a decent time on Sunday. So Monday morning comes really early. So just be aware of that, of of how late you are staying up um, and try to stick to uh, a regular schedule. Um, let's see. I think that's all I've got. What do you think? I know you probably have some tricks and tips up well, your sleeve. No, you, I mean, you really hit it. Uh, the, the only thing I would add, uh, have a fiction book that you are reading, right? If you're going to go to bed reading, right, get a book, but don't make it a book about work, right? A lot of people say, well, I read before bed, but they end up reading work, right? You need to to free your mind and slow your mind down from the things that you are thinking about every day. Your, your brain will do double duty when you're sleeping. It will help you process stuff you did during the day while you're sleeping. It'll write short-term memory to long-term memory while you're sleeping. But you, you really have to flip that switch and say, I'm no longer in work mode. Uh, and, and I I absolutely agree. Stop watching the news before bed. Get the TV out of your bedroom. Yeah. Uh, don't don't watch stuff on your devices. Um, you know, I'm I'm someone who I use my iPhone as my alarm, so I don't put it in another room. But uh, but I absolutely don't use it. I don't turn it on. Um, you know, after that that last alarm set. Um, and and the other thing I would mention is light. Now, you know, in the last episode, I'm a huge advocate of hue lights. Um, you don't have to deal with to go the hue light route, but find some way to create warm light in the evening and energetic white light in the morning. I have a great idea. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure you do. And I should have put this on the Christmas list. Yes, I know. Go ahead. The salt lamp. The salt lamp. I cannot believe that I forgot to put that on the Christmas list. I know. That was my favorite gift. So, at, or excuse me, not at Christmas, but for my birthday, my lovely husband bought me a salt lamp. I loved it so much. We bought four more. Four? Yes. We oh, have geez. a salt lamp in my office, in my living room, in our bedroom, and both kids have a salt lamp. That is awesome. And I love them. I don't know really if it really makes that much of a difference. Like I know it's supposed to, but I love them. I love the light. I love the thought. I love the idea of them. And I cannot believe I forgot. I know. Much shame. (laughs) Much shame. Shame. So this is an after. Yes. This will be an after Christmas idea. But yes. Yes. It is. You know, you can read up on the salt lamp and what what salt lamps do. I'll put a link in the show notes. But the the beauty of them, the light that comes Uh, out of them is a a perfect, perfect yellow hue. And and it's really great. Now, I I think it's super important. The way your brain changes as a result of the light environment that you're in, it will slow you down in the evening and waking up to a, uh, you know, to an ot light, O-T-T, ot light in the morning uh, is bright daylight balanced light. It will give you, it will, it will help your body regulate cortisol levels such that your energy becomes uh, regulated. You know, you will wake up more energetic if you are consistent and you let light do its job. So those are just the only two things I would add to this one. Yes. Love that. All right. Great. Let's, let's move on. This is uh, this is a question comes from Nicole. 
Hi, Nikki, and happy holidays. I'm attempting to reorganize my living, dining, and working spaces. I live in a one-bedroom condo with an open floor plan. I often work from home, and I am in graduate school full-time, so I have lots of paper, books, etc. everywhere. I'm trying to find the best furniture placement, landing place, etc. For the most part, furniture will need to do double duty, i.e. standing, bar, height, desk, or dining table. Where should I start? Thanks, mm-hmm. Nicole. Okay, so this is a fun this is a fun question because uh, if you're creative and you like to sketch, this is where I would start is to actually look at your space and sketch it out on paper. Um, you know, what does your open space look like? What how you know what's the bedroom look like? And kind of zone the space into um, what you want to do in those areas. So if there's a particular place in her open space that she wants to do her schoolwork, or if there's a particular place that she if she wants to separate school from from her work where is she going to do her work or if it is in the same spot then how you know how's that going to look and how are we going to separate you know between work and home and all of that but I would really sketch it out first and get kind of an idea of your zones you know this is the area I'm just going to be watching tv this is where I eat um, this is the kitchen sleeping area what do you want in your bedroom what don't you want in your bedroom and kind of get an idea of of that I think she is right on when she's talking about furniture that does double duty um, you know I love the idea of having the standing um, bar you know as a standing desk, but Mm -hmm. you also want to be careful that if that goes right into the kitchen, it could get pretty cluttered pretty quickly too. So you got to think everything out, but, but I really do like the idea of the double duty. Ottomans can be an Ottoman, but it can also store stuff, you know, whether that's papers or blankets, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's whatever uh, works for you. But what I'd also say to her is to look at her vertical space and look at her walls. Um, if you go to the Container Store uh, website, there are such great ideas of how to make a closet into a little workstation or how to just take one piece of the wall, like one section of the wall, and all of a sudden make that into a desk, you know, area, a work area. And it doesn't have to take much space, but it's it's working vertical. It's working, you know, up and down in that um, shelving space and everything. So I would definitely check that out. Um, out of sight is out of mind, right? For ADHD, we know that. Mm-hmm. So we want to be really careful with what kind of storage and organizing products you do buy. So I would su- suggest first, before you do buy anything, to sketch it out, really think about what you need and what you want. And uh, also purge. <laughs> you know, if you're redecorating, this is a great time for you to get rid of everything that you don't need, because the less you have, the less you have to organize. Um, and just make sure you take the measurements and everything so you don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. Um But, you know, extra or small spaces, they do need extra upkeep because they can get cluttered really quickly. So I would also try to build in some kind of like daily cleanup or some kind of maintenance system too, just to make sure that the end of the night you're putting things away or you're at least putting, um, you know, piles together in nice, neat piles. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not asking for perfection, but just to kind of help you uh, not have it feel so cluttered and a little bit more in control. So just paying a little bit of attention 
attention to it every day can make a big difference. Yeah. Like, you know, do you have, uh, that's another container store thing, right? Once you figure out the kind of work you're doing in these multipurpose spaces, having the right sort of portable bins to put your schoolwork in at the end of the day and put it under the desk so that you can pull it out easily and pick up exactly where you were. Like those are things that take you, end up taking you a few seconds, uh, but can really help you keep the space clean. And you feel better about it because you're not looking at a bunch of clutter that you know is going to affect you mentally when you see it. So, yeah, absolutely. Looking for simple systems. That's it. Simple Simple systems. systems. Absolutely. All right. We have have another question here. This one comes from Jane. Uh, Hi there. Love your show. Thank you, Jane. Uh, she's been listening for us to to us for years while she runs. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I uh, wonder if she uses the zombie app. Like I know. I, that's a great zombie she run. It's really fast. Cause there's there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So she's got two questions. The first one is for me. What was your process for going paperless? I'd love to go paperless, but my husband is not completely on board and it feels like such an overwhelming undertaking. Where do I even begin? Uh, shall I take this one before we read number two? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, uh, the, so, uh, you know, this is a this is a tricky one because there are two things going on. First of all, your husband isn't on board. Second, it's an overwhelming undertaking. That your husband isn't on board, I would say, is not a huge challenge, right? Because you can go paperless in your own life and thereby demonstrate how successful it can be if you do it right, right? So my process for going paperless was just to start with one area of paper that I needed to take control over and and figure out, you know, how am I going to handle the daily bills? How am I going to handle, you know, the the statements that come in via email, where am I going to put those? How do I get the mail processed and in a place where, uh, you know, I I remember to use it, it's tagged well, what is my system? Um, you know, I go through pretty good detail in the the paper solution and Nikki's um, o- online program uh, with, so uh, I think three total screencasts around, you know, what the, you know, what to actually do, what apps to use, uh, which would be a, a great recommendation that I have for you, Jane. Um, it, but generally, I try to keep it as simple as possible. I use my mobile phone. I have a high-quality camera on my phone. I scan using my phone. I don't have a giant scanner anymore. Uh, and so I can keep my daily process going pretty quickly. The second thing I did after figuring out what one thing I wanted to do uh, you know, daily was to tackle the larger you know, file cabinets, you know, the archive paperwork, old taxes, those kinds of things. And for that, I did uh, have a large bulk scanner that I could do. Uh, you know, I could scan very quickly large stacks of paper. Um, once I figured out what my online process was, you know, as you may remember, I love Evernote. Evernote is the back end to my paperless system. Uh, it was pretty easy to get the the bulk of paper into my system quickly using a big scanner. But today, I don't even have the big scanner anymore. I just use a, a day-to-day thing. Once you demonstrate that, you know, paperless works for you and that your daily mail that comes in, you're able to scan quickly and shred and, uh, and share appropriately with your husband the things that are important for him to see, I think you'll demonstrate that that paperless is a is a useful, um, you know, it, it might be a useful thing for you as a family. But I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about uh, you know selling your husband on it before you take it on. Just take it on little pieces at a time. What's one thing you can do that would take paper that is in your life and make it paperless um, and and see how it works. Take well, it slow. And I just want to add that I was definitely one of those people that was hesitant to do it. And I have embraced it and I love it and I'm not going back. So 
<laughs> oh, I love that. You know, I mean, I think it yeah. is, I think you're right on that going small is, is easier, you know, trying not to, to take it all on, but knowing what area you want to start in first. But the only thing that I want to add is I, I do think it's important to make it a priority project. And I talked about this in a webinar that I recently um, gave. And what I mean by that is it is a project. And so in order to trust your filing system, whether it is paper, uh, physical paper or online, right, in your computer, you have to be able to trust it. And if you only do half of it, you're not going to trust it because you're not going to know what's there and what's not. So it's something that you want to start, start small, but eventually you do need to finish it. So you do need to make it a, a, a you know, a priority of continuously working on bits and pieces of it. It may take some time, but believe me, you'll be happy that you did it because it will be complete and you'll trust that the paper yeah. is there. So Absolutely that's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. She has a second question for you, Nikki. She says, I sometimes think I may have ADHD. I'm a speech language pathologist and I work with children with ADHD, among many other diagnoses. I don't feel that I'm as severe as these students, but how do you know for sure what is a personality thing versus a true diagnosis in an adult? Does that even make sense? Or is it something like autism, which is a spectrum dis spectrum disorder? We all lie somewhere on the spectrum. I sometimes feel like a hypochondriac, thinking I have some characteristics of ADHD, but may or may not meet all the diagnoses diagnostic criteria necessary? Oh, that's such an interesting one. It is an interesting question. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of people actually have this question because they're not really sure. They're like, gosh, I, I kind of feel like that fits me. Like I do those things and, and I'm not sure. Go talk to your doctor. If you yeah. even think that this may be the case for you, um, go talk to your doctor, share your concerns, and they'll either um, start the the process of getting diagnosed or they'll refer you to the right person. And um, I would I would go that route and just check to see. And and the thing is too that that um, you know going back to my husband's healthcare and what Rich is dealing with, we have to take control and responsibility for ourselves. And if you think something is wrong, then you got to figure out what it is. And if you don't like the first person, <laughs> you know, answer, yeah. you don't like the doctor, then go find another doctor. And I'm not saying that you're looking for the diagnosis of ADHD, but that's what we got to find out is, is it ADHD or is it something else? Because you can't treat, you can't treat ADHD if it's not ADHD, you know, yeah, right, and, right. and you don't want to pretend like it's ADHD when it might be bipolar, because then you're doing something completely different. Or, yeah. you know, if you're Asperger's, I mean, there's so many different things that it could be, you've got, you've got to get the right diagnosis and figure out what it is, or, you know, is it just part of who you are and, and you got to still have some tools and, and structures in place to help you manage. And, and, but that's what you got to find out what, what well, is going on. Well, and that's, that was what I was going to say, because there's a, the other side of that particular coin is that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you, when you were in college, if you went to school with any med students, uh, but oh my goodness, uh, going to school with people who are actively studying medicine is just a daily exercise in trauma, in transference trauma, because students come back after studying cancer and after studying uh, these horrible brain disorders and after doing autopsies or, or do, going 
going through gross anatomy and seeing what happens when you when bodies start to fail it is really easy for these people to take on those things right immediately every little pain becomes oh my gosh i i have uh shoulder pain maybe it's joint cancer right i i just i feel like that is a very real thing for for medical students and it's totally normal and the fact that you are an slp and you are working with kids with adhd diagnoses and you see behavior that you feel is similar to something in yourself it's very easy to feel like like you're transferring uh, a, a, a potential diagnosis to yourself and so th- to nikki's point you've got to get that answered and it may really just be in your uh, ju- just be a, a personality thing and it may be just something that you that you're just trying to get uh, get your systems together it's it's not a, a complete you know you're not that far on the adhd spectrum and and adhd is also a spectrum right you've got to remember that that like autism these are spectrum disorders and everybody has you know these these traits some more than others so um you know that's i i, I think that you're probably uh it might be a little bit of a hypochondriac i am too uh and you got to get the answer, question answered for real um but don't forget just because you don't know what your you know where you are on the adhd spectrum uh doesn't mean that some of the tools and systems and and things that we talk about on this show don't help so take help wherever you can find it that's right and that's it i think those are those what a great set of questions that we had this year nikki that was such a gift such a gift to us yes thank you everybody if you guys have questions and um please let us know because we will certainly do this again but we also answer questions as you know um many times we start the show with following up from um, our listeners so please 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 keep letting us know what you care about and uh We'll keep doing our best that we can That's on it. our end. Yeah. That's what we will do. This has uh, been a great show and a great year. Again, thank you, everybody, for, for downloading and listening to the show every single week. We sure appreciate it. While you run or some other activity, uh, we, we really appreciate your time and attention. Uh, have a great year. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, on behalf of Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next year on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. 